Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. And I'm John Simon. John, you made a joke earlier, a few minutes ago. Eric, I was glad to see that you made it on time for this segment because we're going to talk about time management and we're going to make it a two-part series. This is number one. I wrote down a quote to share at the very beginning by a fellow named Jim Rohn. Either you run the day or the day runs you. And I think that sets the tone here. Yeah, I will add my quote And my quote is, waste of time is the most extravagant of expenses. That's not my quote. I think it was a Greek philosopher. But you're approaching it from a solo practitioner. I have a firm with uh, 13 attorneys, 50 employees altogether. But we do all contingency stuff, pretty much. And time is, is so, so important. If you're doing plaintiff stuff on a contingency, the most critical skill is being able to do things efficiently. Your time is as valuable as you make it. Time management is a skill set, I think. It's just like uh, learning how to take a deposition. I mean, it's just as important as cross-examining somebody at trial. Time management is a skill set, and there are a lot of practical things and ideas that you can implement that save a ton of time. I came from a insurance defense firm over to your firm in 2004, and I remember that it was a rather dramatic shift in terms of just the overall thought about how to document what I'm doing. Because when you're getting paid by the hour, you've got to convince a third party, an insurance company, that you did work and then that you should be paid for that work. And that requires a lot of paperwork and a lot of justifying. I I had one bill returned. I wrote an appellate brief and the third revision, I noted final proofread for typos and errors and for final form. And it was a return. They said, we don't pay for you to correct your own mistakes. And so it was that kind of silliness. And I know a lot of people who do hourly billing run into the same thing where someone doesn't understand what it takes to get the job done. Well, that person's gone when you come over to a plaintiff firm like yours. And you're just on your own there, right? You're just doing what needs to be done. Did you have the same sort of thing when you went from defense firm over to plaintiff work? Yeah, actually, we were talking about that a little bit before we went on air. Is there really an incentive at a firm that bills by the hour? Is there the same incentive to do things efficiently as with a contingency fee firm where you're not paid based on the amount of time, you're paid based on the result? I can tell you some of the things that I did on the defense side, I just won't do. For instance, scheduling. I remember we'd get on phone calls and conference calls five or six attorneys to talk about scheduling of depots or a deposition or whatever it is. My motto at at our firm is if the attorney doesn't need to do the task, the attorney shouldn't be doing it. It's about delegating. If you're spending your time on the phone, scheduling depositions, and that's something your assistant or your paralegal can do, it's preventing you from doing the things that you have to do. So there's some interesting numbers we could throw around. One is you get 168 hours each week. And that sure sounds like a lot of time. When you get your head deeply into something and you look up and you thought, well, that must be an hour. And then you find out it was actually four hours because you're preparing for trial and you're you're very tense on the task. You just burn four hours. Wow, that was fast. And then you don't get 168 each week because you sleep. Right. So now you're 
Now you're down 56, probably eight hours per day. This time as a resource, it's got this very unusual quality about it. It's a non-renewable resource. Unlike a lot of other things that you can get more of, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. Sometimes it's uh, interesting to see what little bits of time do over the course of a year. So what if you find out that you were wasting three minutes a day? You were just not useful for three minutes each day. Add that up for 250 work days per year, and that's 12 and a half hours over the year. I have a beard and I joke with some people that I don't shave because I want to save 12 hours a year, Uh, but it really does add up. A lot of people are news junkies. If you sit down and watch 15 minutes of news a day where you're just obsessed with what's going on in the country, well, that's 62 hours a year. That's a, a work week and a half of watching TV with only 15 minutes a day. It really adds up. So little things are big things in the long run. I've heard these statistics about how much television or movies, entertainment, the average person watches and the amount of time we spend in front of screens looking at stuff or watching movies is going way up. And some of the statistics that I've seen are crazy. Like we spend five or six hours a day watching television, Netflix, YouTube, whatever it is, news. Could you imagine that? I don't want to say it's all wasted, but it can get excessive. It can get to a point where it's kind of crazy. It seems to me that What really matters is not whether it's a lot or not. It matters whether these hours are well spent and consciously spent. One thing you want to do with the firm, of course, is to handle your cases efficiently and serve your clients. You might be handling a heavy caseload. And if those are your main and only things that you worry about, that tells you what you should be doing when you spend your time well. But a lot of us also want to do other things at the firm. We want to interact with our peers and our clients, our coworkers, our staff. We want to keep a sense of camaraderie. We want to reach out to the community. We want to sometimes volunteer our times and talents to the outside world. So that sets up, a, I won't, I won't say a conflict, but it sets up this dynamic where you can't just say, I'm going to go to the office and do only one thing. I've got to spread it out in various ways. How do you see that? You know, I'm an early riser. I get up early in the morning and I found over the course of my career that the first two or three hours after I get up are prime time. I'm more focused. I'm more creative. I'm way, way more productive. And I even quit going into the office early in the morning. I used to, in my earlier days, I'd go in the office early in the morning. And what I do now is as soon as I get up before I work out or anything like that, I'll spend the first two hours, at least sometimes three, depending on how it's going, working on things that need my complete focus and concentration. I say this all the time. I tell Margie this, my wife, there are many days at home where I will have gotten done more in the first two hours, just the first two hours sitting in a chair at home than I had planned on doing the whole day. In other words, I can get a full day's work done in a couple hours. It's just a matter of finding a good place and a good time for you. Some people like mornings, other people I know work late into the night. But I think it's important to figure out what things you do on a regular basis and then find what time is best for you to do this. I'll give you a perfect example, emails. And I don't know how many emails everybody else gets. I get hundreds of emails a day. And if I spent my time responding to emails or texts or whatever as they're coming up, that would be all I would be doing. For instance, if you're working on something that requires your attention, concentration, all of a sudden you got the phone on and it's beeping. Oh, who's that? And you look at it. 
Well, it's not just the time it takes to look at the email or the text, but it's taken away the time of what you were concentrating on and then the time to look at that and then the time to get refocused. I will set aside certain times to do things, things that you do on a regular basis, responding to your emails, returning calls. I think it's good to organize your day so that you're doing those things at a certain time. And what that does, it doesn't take away your concentration and your creativity where you need time away from all the noise in order to do the best job you can. I just finished reading a book last night. It's called Creativity by John Cleese, the Monty Python actor and writer. And he was mentioning the the problem with inspiration and interruptions. The cost of interruptions are, are immense. So if you are deep into a task and you get interrupted, he indicated that it might take as much as eight minutes to really get somewhat situated. And if it was a deep task, it might take as much as 20 minutes to get everything humming back in your head the way it was. So that's a, that's a huge problem to allow an interruption. And yet there is a, you know, here we are in the middle of COVID still, we can all feel the importance of social connection. And we all feel it all the time, even when it's not COVID. So it's very tempting to stop what you're doing or someone knocks on your door and in they come and you're glad to see them, but now you can't get back on track easily. You isolate yourself in the morning at your own home. So it's not like someone's going to knock on your door and walk in. Yeah. And that's partly because, you know, I'm at the office. I have more than an open door. Anybody wants to come in, people are coming in and out all the time, talking to me about issues and cases. I enjoy doing that. That's part of my job. And I never turn people away. I always talk to them and whether it's a call or walking in the office. And so I know that if I'm in the office, people are going to grab me and interrupt me, which is fine. And that's why I've decided doing it at home is a better option for me. You know, I didn't know I was going to be talking about John Cleese today at all, but he said another thing that did resonate with me, that there's moments where you need to be inspired or you need to be creative. The idea he has is that when he's writing, he needs to be quiet and uninterrupted because the thoughts don't come necessarily in words. It's almost like they come in, in images and other ways, and they're very quiet and they can be knocked out of your head with interruptions. So he's a big advocate of take an hour or two and keep everybody away so that those ideas can come. A lot of the stuff that we do as trial lawyers can't be done at the last minute for the exact reasons you're talking about. I mean, we're trying to figure out good creative arguments and you can't sit there and say, okay, I've got 90 minutes to do this or whatever. I like doing things way ahead of time because you dig into it, then you get away from it and you think about it a little bit and some thoughts will come to you and then, and then you get back to it. Another thing that happens all the time with me, you know, after a long day, I'll have some issue or problem that I'm just struggling to figure out what the best approach is or the best answer, the best argument And it's after a long day of reading and working, and it just seems so confused. You know, I'm just spinning my wheels. And I know for a fact, I just close things up, get a good night's sleep. And as soon as I get up in the morning, it is amazing. Something I was struggling with for an hour and a half, I'll get up in the morning, everything just looks so much clearer. And I'm like, wow, here it is. How I want to organize a cross-examination, how I want to organize an opening statement, how I want to undermine or diffuse the main two or three defenses in the case. And I get up in the morning, get the coffee going, sit down there. A lot of times I'll just sit there with a blank notepad thinking about the case. And I'll sit there and say, okay, what is it about? What are we trying to prove? What are their defenses? And how can we 
undermine or address those defenses? Can we embrace them? Probably the latest I get up is five in the morning. I know it might sound like a little crazy to some people, but that is really my prime time. And the other thing too, is if I really get on a roll in the morning at home, I'll just not come in the office till noon. I think the bottom line is you talk about time management. As I said, in 90 minutes of good, quiet time in the morning, I can get done more than what I would do in six or seven hours at the office with different interruptions and phones and emails and all the other stuff. I haven't read other people using this, but workspace to me is a critically important thing. Do I have everything I need in order to get this particular task done? And I find that if I don't have everything I need, then it often is hard to get started. So your example that you just used, your workspace at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m., when you, whenever you sit down with that notepad and a pen, that is your workspace. It's you, a piece of paper, and a pen. And that's what you need. And your brain is stirring. It's stirring itself. But a lot of times for me, I work in a solo firm. I don't have employees. It's just me and a lot of technology. So I find in those cases, it's me engaging with that technology. But do I have everything there? Do I have all the software tools that I use? When I write a brief, I want to make sure I have all the cases already there. I don't print them out. It's all on screens. Are they all there in a folder? My opponent's cases are my cases there in a separate folder. Can I access everything quickly and instantly? Do I have the style of the case ready to go where I can actually start adding ideas? Do I have an outline where I have everything in a folder where I know where everything is? And I find that that's really critical for me is to having, I'm using the example of an appellate brief, but for everything I do, if I'm on a phone and someone, they want to have an event that we meet or meet a deadline, it's got to go on the calendar. And sometimes I scribble ideas and then I incorporate them into the computer. But having everything ready to go in one place is critical for me or else there's this temptation to not do it, to not get started. And I find that it's that moment, it's the most difficult, fraught moment of all whenever you're doing anything that is not urgent, is that you need to start. You know, you need to take that first step and jump in and do the thing. What I'll do is I'll do all the logistical stuff first, the things that you're talking about. Whatever it is I'm approaching, whatever that project is, at the beginning, I'll make sure, do I have all of the cases, our cases, the, the other side's cases? Do I have copies of the briefs? Do I have the key documents? I'll ask for things like discovery responses. Just have everything available that I need before I sit down. The other thing I'll do too is I usually just review the information without a specific idea of where I'm going with it. As you read through things, whether it's a deposition or whether it's uh, documents, the discovery responses, I think just reading through, and it comes from handling thousands of cases over the years, you see a response, you see an answer, and all of a sudden it triggers two or three ideas or things. Logistically, I get everything I need so I won't be interrupted by having to ask somebody for other copies of stuff. I'll have it all with me, and then I'll just, I'll just take my time. And especially when you're drafting a brief or drafting a research memo or figuring out how to argue something, you really need to have uninterrupted, good, quiet, quality time. And I think that starts with, as you said, logistically having everything there that you need, reviewing it, make sure you know what information is there. I'll spend a morning or a day or whatever getting everything together, reading it over. I think the main point here, Eric, is there's a time for everything. And the time that you're drafting a brief 
thinking about what your closing argument's going to be or building a good cross-examination of a witness, a key witness in the case, those aren't the times that you also want to have your phone blowing up with emails. They're also not the time that you want to, after 15 minutes, you're stopping and going and getting a document. Not only do you need a good place and a good time, but you need to have everything you need so that you're not stopping and, and running to get things. I'm a solo, so I don't have this danger that you might have running a big firm, but are you able ever to actually turn off your phone? Do you actually turn it off and put it somewhere else or do you have Absolutely. to have it? No, no, I, I, I turn it off. I don't have a single case in the office that another attorney is not working with me on. And I've got a lot of other responsibilities at the office other than working on the cases, but I let all the other attorneys know if there's an email that is to me and them, I'll look at them eventually, but I might not be looking at them right away. I used to do it on weekends. Now sitting at home through the COVID stuff, it seems like there's no real distinction between weekends and weekdays. But when we leave the house to go somewhere or maybe on a Sunday, I routinely turn my stuff off. I'll turn my phone off. I'll go places and not bring it with me. And it's like a vacation. Having that phone with you, if I'm visiting my grandkids, that phone is off. I won't even bring it with me. I'll just leave it at home and the world doesn't end. There are tremendous benefits from having stuff online and having access to all this information. But I think it's caused as much problems with time management as it, as it helps because we just get so much information. I mean, it steals your time from you is what it does. It really does. Having all of these emails and texts and and going back and forth. And I think a lot of it is a tremendous waste of time. And you know, as I said, it, it steals the thing that's most valuable, which is your time. You know, it seems like this topic of time management has two sides to it. And I keep flipping back and forth between these two sides. And it seems like that's what we're doing here. The one is to get rid of things, get rid of the distractions. And the other is to do the thing that you're doing well. And you know, both of these will allow you to use your time well. Eric, we're problem solvers. That's what we do as attorneys. It doesn't matter what kind of you have a transactional practice, family law, personal injury, insurance defense practice. We are problem solvers. And every day we're required to read and understand tremendous amount of information, documents, facts, depositions. We're also required to be creative. We're paid to think and figure things out and solve problems. That's what we do. That is our jobs. How in the heck can you do that with distractions? I mean, it's just not possible to do that. I see that in depositions all the time. I see it in trial occasionally where I can tell my opponent hasn't thought things out well. I'll see them heading down a certain path and give them the benefit of the doubt. What's that all about? Why are they pursuing that issue? Why are they going in that direction? And then at the end of the day, not often, fortunately, but you figure out they really didn't give it a lot of thought. For certain things that you do that require your attention, you really need to have, I think, a scheduled time during the day on a regular basis that's a good time for you and a place where you can concentrate where you won't have any distractions. And you know, another important aspect of time management is, and I think you said you did this every week, leaving time to think of better ways of doing things. Stephen Covey made famous a, a saying of sharpen the saw, make sure your tools are useful and can you become more efficient? You know, about 15 or so years ago, the entire firm went out of the office offsite and we spent the entire day with no specific agenda other than what do we do and how can we do it better? That was it. We had a flip chart. Actually, I think you were there and participated in it. 
And we went from A to Z, anything. Nothing was off limits. What do we do? How can we do it better? And most of the work that's done at law firms aren't done by the attorneys. They're done by the staff, the paralegal, the administrative personnel. And we came up with fantastic, just fantastic ideas about time saving, how to mark documents, how to mark exhibits. And we've continued to do that. I mean, we're always looking for ways to be more efficient. When you're teaching a young lawyer or talking to a law clerk, that's when it comes out to me that I realize how much stuff we do and how much we've learned over the years and how we learn to get better at certain things. There's a term that's used often in the financial realm, compounding. You know how you put money in the bank account and your money will earn interest and it will compound. The interest will earn on the interest. That term has been applied also outside of the financial realm to your personal realm of your skills. I use so much software to get done what I do. I use voice information transfers both ways. I dictate through voice. I'd use online transcription services to pull oral presentations back into written. I use all kinds of templates and styles and other features of word processing. And, you know, I bet you a lot of it was gone. You go to YouTube or you go online, you learn a hint. How do, how do I get this done? These skills, as they accumulate, you don't realize you're carrying them around in your head, but they're, they're very important. There's a lot of technology that I use and a lot of other attorneys use. And one of those is trying to go paperless. If you can get rid of a lot of the paper, first of all, you don't have to find it. It's always, you know, if you organize it well in your computer, it's there. But that goes hand in hand with being able to access it and use it online. And what I've been doing for years, and I think everybody who does this will not go back, is use big monitors and use multiple big monitors. And every computer now that's sold can be hooked up with a second monitor and sometimes a third monitor. There's been studies done to show that your productivity increases 42% when you use multiple monitors. I mean, it's, it's amazing. If it's a big monitor, that's important too, because then you're not doing a lot of scrolling. You can compare it to your phone. Your phone's a couple inches tall on your screen and you're doing a lot of scrolling. Well, every time you scroll, that's a stop and a start. If you use multiple big monitors, you're looking at everything. Your eye will then dart between the various windows and the screens. And uh, the research bears this out, that that's a much more efficient way of doing things. John, one last thing. Sometimes subjects seem disparate, and then you put them together, and you realize there's a connection. And that was my thought when I ran across the literature that talks about time management being connected to having a healthy state of mind. Yeah, it's so interesting, and that applies to a lot of different areas. The last thing I would think it, it applied to was time management. But, you know, the old saying, attitude is everything. You approach things differently if you are in a positive state of mind. There's studies showing that doctors diagnose more accurately when they're in a better state of mind. Optimistic salespeople outsell their pessimistic counterparts by 50%. It goes on and on. So there is a mental health factor in this. And it makes total sense when you step back and think about it. You know, who's going to be your best workers? Are they going to be people who are cheerful and they're engaged with the project and they feel self-actualized? They like their cases that they're working on? Or is it going to be the people who are down the dumps? They look like they're oppressed, bent over at their desks. Who's going to be the more time efficient worker of those two? I think it's pretty obvious. You can probably see it. Is that true? Can you look at an attorney and figure out who's happy or not just by looking at them? 
Well, it's kind of like case selection. For instance, if you're working on a really good case and you're excited about it, you can't wait to work on it. You can't wait to start taking depositions. On the other hand, if you have one that isn't so good, the opposite happens. I mean, you just don't want to work on it. You're not really enthused about it. You put stuff off. So I think that sort of takes care of itself. If you're doing something that you enjoy doing and it's meaningful and you get some satisfaction from doing it, you're going to do a much better job. Well, a lot of good, interesting stuff here, Eric. There's a lot more to think about. And I know that we're going to be coming back with a lot more practical tips for how to engage in efficient time management regarding your cases. It's a difficult struggle all the time to think about how you're going to recapture and make use of those moments of time, those unreplenishable moments of time. Just remember, it is something that you learn. It's a skill set that you can get better at. I mean, if you spend an hour thinking about something, doing something differently, it could end up saving you, talking about compounding, hundreds of hours in the long run. All right. So uh, that's a lot to think about in part one. We'll be back with part two on a later episode. This is Eric B. signing off for The Jury Is Out. This is John Simon. See you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law and tune into other podcasts in the Simon Law Firm library, including Heels in the Courtroom and Results Don't Lie. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.